everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. The drama that I am going to be discussing on the show today is the drama that has a name that I can literally never remember. It has just been killing me for the last bunch of months, Um, but I've written it down so I can say it properly for the first time ever in my entire life. It is Dodo Soul Soul La La Soul. Dodo Soul Soul La La Soul. So this is a 16 episode, I'm going to say romance drama. It's very rom-commy at the start but gets you know angsty I guess at the end it's described as a rom-com but I'm like yeah I don't know if it's a rom-com with an ending like that anyway it's a 2020 drama from the end of 2020 um and it is 16 episodes I I, I like (laughs) I'm a bit all over the place I literally just finished watching it as I record this like I have just walked from you know watching it into my study to record this episode and what an ending (laughs) what a fucking ending this show has like I'm just blown away I feel like the first half is this like gorgeous beautiful warm hug of a drama like I was literally watching every episode with like this unconscious grin on my face like I was just like oh this drama is so nice it makes me feel so happy and then I watched the last two fucking episodes and I feel like I have been slapped around in the face and like pushed over onto the ground like <laughs> I just don't even know why an ending. Oh my gosh, I'm crying. I'm laughing so much. <laughs> what a fucking bonkers ending. That's just like, I'm just really blown away. Um, It has like a, yeah. I mean, I'll talk about the ending later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just can't even believe the writers went where they did. I feel like there was a severe lack of story at the end and they didn't know what to do. So they pulled out the dumbest trope of all time, which is like, <laughs> you know, one of the characters randomly has a, a terrible disease. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll talk about the ending at the end. I'm going to start at the start. All right. So this drama stars Goara. Uh, so the actress Goara, I have such a weird thing about, and I feel like I need to stop being so weird and judgmental about people and just like everyone and be a bit more open-minded. I feel like I haven't really been hugely into Goara over the many years that I've seen her in many, many things. Um, and then she's so good in this. And it's not her fault <laughs> that the drama is a fucking hot mess at the end. <laughs> um, she is 
so good in this. I loved her performance. She's so, I don't know, she's, she's really the main character. She really carries the show, particularly in the first 10 episodes, which was when I think the show was on point. I loved the first 10 episodes. I think it felt so much fun. Aesthetically, it looked great, like this seaside city. Um, And it just, it's like this larger than life, like, I don't know, burst of positivity. That's what this drama was to me. Like, it literally felt like a warm hug every time I watched it. It made me feel happy and inspired to, you know, live positively and live well and, you know, all this cheesy shit, like live every day to the fullest, all that kind of crap. Like it was so positive and beautiful. And I think Goara and her character, Rara, just instill that. Like she embodies what this drama was when it was really, really good. In my opinion, it was really good. Um, And I have to say, you know, it's not highbrow. It's not anything incredible. It just had in my opinion, a feeling around it that I think elevated it above just some of the other kind of basic rom-coms that I see. And I, you know, I watch a lot of modern set contemporary K-drama rom-coms. And for some reason, this drama, and I think it was this whole like living life, loving life kind of angle. It really crawled into my heart. Like I just, it made me feel so good and so happy and just in this way that watching the drama and watching all these people live their small little daily lives in such a positive way made me want to do the same. Like it made me want to go out and live my life and have fun. But in saying that, like it's it's not in terms of the writing or the storyline or anything, like it's not anything new. It's not unique or incredible. And I think it's really just the feeling of this drama that is, for me anyway, in those first 10 episodes was very, very special. And I do think that Goara is a huge reason for me that I liked it so much. Um, You know, she's just this bundle of energy and she's very naive. Um, She's lived this very rich, sheltered life, not Goara, but her character Rara has. but she's not like a horrible spoiled brat. She she is naive about things, but she just has this sweetness and innocence about her that is really charming and lovely. She also wears the quirkiest, weirdest clothes, and I loved it. I loved seeing her in the weird clothes. And like, I'm not sure, but I did notice that my enjoyment of the drama kind of went down at the point when she had a makeover and she started looking really normal <laughs> and boring. And I was like, oh, I loved it when her hair was all big and curly and she was wearing these like scrunchies that were bigger than her face. Like she had some cool clothes in this. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, so the male lead is played by the actor Ide Wook. Um, so he plays a character called Sanu Jun. Um, Ite Wook, I've only really seen once before this. Um, he was in the 2019 youth romance drama, um, Extraordinary You. He played the second male lead. His character in that was just like, he was a total asshole. <laughs> like he's very handsome, but I didn't like particularly warm to him because he just was such a horrible dude. Uh, that was just a personal thing. I know a lot of people loved him in that drama and I think he did really well and he's very handsome, but I just didn't connect with the character. And so I didn't, you know, I wasn't particularly like, wow, what's this dude going to do next? Um, and I wasn't really, if I'm honest, even going to watch this drama, um, Dodo Soul Soul, La La Soul, because probably I had, you know, this weird sort of baggage around Goara that I didn't 
particularly love her. She wasn't someone I particularly wanted to watch, um, which is so funny because she becomes, for me, the reason to watch this show. She's so good in it. Um, and I was just kind of not one way or the other about EJ Walker. I was like, yeah, whatever, like, you know, I watch him or I won't watch him, whatever. Um, so I was absolutely not going to watch it. And I happened to be on Netflix and I saw, you know, a little trailer just came up automatically um, on there for it. And it's just a scene from the drama. And it's this scene in the very first episode where um, E.J. Wok's character, June, is like, he's all, I don't know, I guess this is my thing, right? He looks all <laughs> poverty-stricken <laughs> um, and all dirty and like he's been on a construction site and he has to deliver flowers to some bride at the last minute because he's just a good dude and he always helps people, I guess. So he's like running in and he's just like really dirty. And then he comes in and Goara's there and she's dressed up in this huge wedding gown with this veil and she's just like... She looks incredible. She looks like, I don't even know, she just looks amazing. And I guess it's just that comparison between the two. And it's just this really nice scene. And I was watching it in the trailer and it's, I don't know, it just looked mad romantic, I guess. And the way it's shot is so crisp and clean and clear. And I really liked that too. And, you know, he just comes in and he's all dirty and he's just staring at her struck because she's so fucking beautiful, which, you know, she is. So I get it. Um, but it was just this really like tension filled, romantic, nice scene. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to watch this drama. And I sat down and started it and I literally just gobbled up the first 10 episodes. I loved it. I loved the way it made me feel. It made me feel so fucking happy. I enjoyed it so much. I, you know, it wasn't, it's not like it's... <sighs> I feel like I'm talking it up so much, those first 10 episodes, and I totally know that it's not the best drama in the world or the most special drama, but there was just something about it that really touched my heart in such a, a lovely, gentle kind of way. It really moved me, and I thought it was really beautiful and positive. Um, and I can't remember what I was talking about. I'm pretty sure I was just talking about Ite Wook. Um, oh yeah, so that is what I was talking about. <laughs> so when I started watching the drama, I was very much like, eh, whatever about him. And by the time I finished the drama, even though again, it's a fucking hot mess at the end and it's all his character's fault. <laughs> but that is again, not the actor Ite Wook's fault that his character was a total dickhead at the end. But anyway, sorry, that was a bit loud. <laughs> I'm yelling at you guys now. I literally just finished watching it, so I'm 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 just I'm very I'm still a bit in it. Um anyway, I really like him. EJ Walk is great. I cannot wait to see what he does next, and I will definitely watch other dramas that he's in. He's really, really good in this. Um I liked him a lot. I think um I I admit it, he's just a very handsome man, but he's a good actor, he's really good, but he's also very handsome and he has this whole thing going on with his face where he just looks like really pissed off and really cranky all the time, but he's also really pretty. And then when he smiles, he looks like a completely different human being to what he looks like when he has like his, I don't know, what do you call that? Like resting bitch face on. <laughs> um, anyway, he's very handsome. He's a good actor. I really liked him in this drama. I liked him a lot um, to the point where I will watch him in other stuff. And I think interestingly enough, I will now watch Goara in other stuff. Although I, I feel like I've already seen her in all this stuff and just was just never connected with her. Anyway, so there's a whole bunch of side characters in this drama as well. Um, I won't go through them all, but I'll just talk about sort of the second male lead. There isn't really any romantic tension in like a love triangle kind of way. I think they try and push it at one point, but it's just like, it's barely there. It fizzles out like just immediately. But the actor Kim Ju Hun, Hun, Hon, hey, 
it's written in English, so I'm not sure how it's really pronounced. Um, but in English, it looks like Kim Ju Hun, uh, which doesn't sound like that would be right at all. <laughs> um, so he is just, I guess he's just such a new face to Dramaland. And suddenly this year, he's literally everywhere. So he, of course, played the second male lead in It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Um, he also, was he the second? Yeah, he was the second male lead in that. Uh, he also played the, um, Susie's character's dad in the first couple episodes of Startup from 2020. Um, and he's in this. So yeah, he's suddenly everywhere. I think he's very likable. I like him a lot. And then there's a whole bunch of side characters, a lot of faces that I recognize. The side characters in this drama are so good. Like I'm not necessarily always someone who gets hugely into all the side characters. Sometimes I feel like they can be real filler and definitely towards the end, there is so much filler in this drama. Like they really run out of story. But again, with those first 10 episodes, you know, you could spend a five minute scene in this hairdressers with all these like women who just meet up to chitter chatter and gossip and, you know, eat food together. And I was invested. I would be there wanting to listen to them do that. It's just such a warm lovely, nice drama. And all the side characters create this really strong, lovely kind of found family feeling to the show that I was just so behind. There's also like kind of a secondary um, kind of teen couple that are uh, just sort of in the background, always fighting together and eventually get together. And I was totally invested in their little side romance as well. I thought it was really lovely. All right. So I think that's enough, like mad, crazy waffle, um, as an overview of the drama. So now I guess I'll get into the setup of Dodo Sol Sol La La Sol. And I've literally got that written in front of me so I can remember how to say it properly. <laughs> Okay, so I think I'm going to try and breeze through the kind of setup stuff a little bit because I feel like I have a lot I want to talk about when it comes down to the individual things that I loved and also the things that I didn't love and also that fucking bonkers ending. So for me, I felt like the drama was kind of in three parts. For me, around maybe it was around maybe the first 10 episodes. For me, it felt really good, like so perfect, so much fun. I really loved the show. Um, beyond that, there's quite a few episodes there which are just mad filler. Like, there is nothing. They've got nothing. <laughs> the story is gone. It's It doesn't, you know, it was a bit boring, to be honest. And I feel like, you know, they're just creating drama where there is no drama at that point. And then the end, the last two episodes are half filler and half the most bonkers, dumbest, stupidest storyline <laughs> that I've ever come across. Um, that's not true. I've come across many other really stupid storylines, but also just for such a new drama. I think I was a little bit shocked. I feel like it's so obvious that I don't know. I mean, do other people like the ending? I'm really interested. Is there anyone out there that liked this ending? To me, it seems like a very obviously not a good thing to do with the drama, because if you're there for the happiness and the warmness and the romance, then it kind of sweeps that rug out from under your feet. But then it has this extra reveal at the end, which is even worse because it negates everything and turns the main character, the hero, June, into the biggest asshole in the world. <laughs> so it's not romantic at all. All right, so I'm getting on to the ending now. <laughs> I haven't even told you about the beginning. You can see I'm very, very worked up. Um, so anyway, the setup. 
Basically, we have Goara's character, Rara, who is a very rich, like, I guess she's very spoiled, but she's just so lovely and, like, happy-go-lucky and nice. Like, she's really nice. So although she has everything she could ever want and is living this insanely privileged life, she isn't looking down on people. She isn't mean to people. She just doesn't understand that there could be anything bad in the world because nothing bad has really ever happened to her I guess um so she is a she plays the piano and she's really incredible at it and I loved all the scenes of kind of how she got started and how she learned and you know all the scenes with her and her piano teacher who becomes you know her, her mentor and I guess mother figure her whole life um I loved it I loved all that stuff it's just so endlessly charming um when she's a little girl and you see how she's learning piano and what it means to her but also when you see you know Goara come in as Rara and, and her experiences around the piano and also this really nice relationship which she has with her dad. Um, so once again, you know, he he spoils the heck out of her, but they do have this really kind of, I don't know, quite a loving relationship going on that I really liked. But it also, there's a kind of, I don't want to say a sinister side to it because it's not sinister in the show at all, but I love the way the show kind of shows the flip side of this perfect fluffy existence that Rara lives in where there are never any consequences and life is just so good because there's this point where her dad you know we can tell as viewers that her dad is a bit worried about something there's something going on with him but Rara who lives this perfect perfect life of course cannot see that because nothing ever goes wrong um, but suddenly the dad is kind of turning to his daughter and he's like, hey, Rara, I think you should get married. I'm going to organize for you to get married. And because she trusts him so implicitly, it's really interesting. I really liked it. She's just kind of like, all right, <laughs> like, cool, whatever, daddy, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Because that's literally how she's lived her entire life. Um, she has no agency of her own. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know what she wants. And she's never thought to question these things about herself um, or be worried about them or think that they're not good. <laughs> you know, She has no sense of self realistically deeper than the level that life is really good and she's happy and she's loved and she's safe, um, which are all really positive things. Um, so her dad organizes for her to get married to, you know, this kind of doctor dude and in exchange, this doctor dude and his family are going to get, you know, a clinic and all this money. Um, and, but during the wedding, we kind of see the dad is freaking out. Like he's trying to get there in time and clearly his whole business has gone under. He has no money left. He knew it was happening and he's trying to marry off his daughter so she can continue to live her comfortable, nice life before everything falls apart. And I thought this was really interesting. So we see the dad and his secretary like trying to rush up to the wedding and the dad has a heart attack because he's lost everything. It's just too much for him to handle. Um, and so he has a heart attack and dies on Rara's wedding day. But just before this happens and before Rara finds out, um, the mother of the groom kind of realizes that her son, who's this very like mummy boy kind of coddled young man, is about to marry into a family that are going to lose everything. You know, she and her family are about to be tied to <laughs> something that's not, not going very well in terms of the business. So she grabs her son and kind of like legs it out of the wedding. And it's like a big, you know, gossip moment. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh. 
Um, and meanwhile, that scene that I talked about from the trailer has kind of happened. Um, so June, the the main male lead, who is a crink, uh, cranky, <laughs> a cranky pretty boy, um, and he is a boy, but at this point we think he's a man. <laughs> um, so June kind of turns up and they have this like supercharged romantic moment. I really liked it. I think um, for him, he, it's obvious that he's very, very smitten by Rara. But I guess on Rara's point of view, like she's getting married because her dad told her to and she's cool with it. Like, but she has no particular feelings towards her husband to be. She has no particular feelings about much of anything. <laughs> really, she's just drifting around, floating through life, looking beautiful and being happy. Very, very interesting character. Um, so, you know, yeah, at the wedding, like June just stares at her, like he's completely in love. It's very super romantic. I liked it a lot. And then Rara's kind of like, bye. And he, he says no. And, you know, we find out later there's all this trauma in his past, which, you know, has stemmed that. But it's also just, I don't know, it was a really cool sort of first meeting. And, of course, we find out later it's not their first meeting, blah, blah, blah. We've known each other forever, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so Rara basically, you know, her dad is dead. The marriage is called off. Everything in her house has been taken by debt collectors. There is no money left. And I loved this. So her dad's secretary comes to her, who's kind of like this other father figure for Rara, someone that she has this really good, very long relationship with. And this dude is like, Rara, I'm so sorry, but all the money's gone. Like it's all gone and you need to like just get out of town for a little while because the debt collectors are going to be coming after you. And you kind of have this thing where you're like, oh, is he evil? Like, is he keeping all the money for himself? Because Rara is beautiful and wonderful, but she is not particularly like a smart, aware kind of woman. <laughs> so, you know, she doesn't know what the paperwork is. She doesn't know anything. If someone put something in front of her face and told her to sign it, she would just sign it. So you just kind of have this inkling. You're like, is this guy stealing all of Rara's like money that she's owed? Um, and I loved that storyline as it progresses in the drama. It was a real surprise to me how it kind of pans out. And I just, I fucking loved that stuff. It was really cool. Um, so Rara is given a whole bunch of money from the secretary who you think is swindling her at this point. And because she has no idea how to money manage, she just like, you know, rents this really big apartment that has no furniture in it, immediately runs out of money and can't afford to do anything because she gets swindled and all this stuff. So she ends up kind of penniless. She still has a car and I can't even remember how it starts, but like there's this whole thing with Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, which is apparently the Dodo Soul Soul La La Soul. And, you know, someone on Instagram is like texting her and it's like that whole, what's it like from all the older dramas, like a daddy long legs figure, you know, that benevolent random dude who's like never tells <laughs> tells the female lead who he is but is always like helping her out with monetary gifts it's so weird it's like a real trope in like k-drama but I'm pretty sure it didn't originate there I'm gonna I feel like maybe it was a, a Japanese manga thing originally I actually don't entirely know um but it's fucking weird <laughs> when you think about it um so Rara kind of is, a, you know, she's really low, she's really depressed. And on Instagram, she kind of sees this person who's been really nice to her and kind to her, this Dodo Soul Soul, whatever. And they're in Unpo, which is like a kind of a seaside port kind of town. And they're like, hey, come here. Why not? And she's just like, 
okay. <laughs> so she gets in a car, drives off down to Unpo and immediately runs over June on his bicycle. And he's pretty shocked to see her again. Also, she's unconscious with blood on her face. So he quickly takes her to the hospital. Of course, she has no money to pay. Of course, she's completely useless and he needs to look after her. You know, both her hands are like, I don't know, they're twisted or something. So she's got casts on. So he literally has to do everything for her and he's really grumbly and pissy about it but he does everything that she ever asks and it's endlessly charming all this stuff I really really liked it um and I really like like all these terrible terrible things have happened to Rara and it's not like she's pretending that they're not bad or that she doesn't feel them but there is this kind of boundless optimism to her that even when things get so bad get the worst she's still I know, she's so sweet and so, like, zesty about life. It's really, really fucking charming. And then seeing this, you know, luminous, outgoing, crazy, quirky, beautiful girl just being so over the top but not in – just in such a charming way next to, you know, Sanu June, the male lead, who's just this – like the crankiest looking dude ever who's just constantly, like, snipping at her and sniping at her and being pissy and yet – you know, doing anything and everything he possibly can all the time for her while grumbling in the background. So he ends up having to lend Rara, and he's quite happy about it, but he pretends he's not happy about it. He ends up um, lending Rara a whole bunch of money so that she can, you know, not die on the street, I suppose. And she ends up moving into where he's living and all these hijinks happen. And then basically the next 10 episodes is just, you know, them becoming closer and closer. This kind of found family vibe because there's this hairdresser next door to this shop where um, Rara and June are. Rara, you know, at first I was so excited. I'm like, oh yes, it's a cohabitation drama. They're going to live together. And immediately Rara moves out and she moves in with these two women from the neighborhood. So the owner of of the hairdresser and the owner's daughter, who is a teen. And I was really sad about this like development. I was like, oh, why can't she stay with June in their big house? Um, but weirdly enough, like, my gosh, I just, the, the side characters grew on me so hardcore. And I feel like even though this is very much a romance drama, like realistically, the drama is Rara's story. It is about her turning from this from the kind of girl that would marry a man because her dad told her to without a second thought into, you know, a deeply complex woman who understands herself. She still has that boundless enthusiasm for life. She still is constantly kind to the people around her, but she gets to know herself and she realizes that she is this incredibly strong woman who can endure anything. She can survive anything and she can still smile on the other side of it. And I think, you know, I love the romance. I was here for the romance. I adored all that stuff. But they're really, realistically, I guess, the thing that gets your heart is perhaps that emotional transformation that Rara goes on and all these people that around her that she emotionally touches and moves their hearts. And in return, you know, she receives their care and love. And it's just like this this really lovely tangle of people and all the bonds between them growing stronger and stronger through all these very small moments of kindness and thoughtfulness between everyone. Um, the second male lead who's, uh, so that's the actor Kim Joo-hun. So he plays this doctor who, you know, in Seoul, he basically, he's just really depressed because he's living this life and he feels like a shell. He says that 
you know, for years he hasn't smiled. So he's married to a very rich woman who's clearly in, you know, the same thing as what um, Rara nearly ended up doing, which is this rich woman's dad has given him like, you know, a clinic or a hospital or some shit in return for like, you know, they've gotten married. And it's just this, this marriage that he's really unhappy with because it's all about status and it's about money and it's about him being this high flying doctor. And he has moved to Unpo to get away from it all and to start again. So he's just being a doctor in a local hospital and he has an apartment and he's just slowly kind of connects with all these people and forms this really nice like family, found family vibe. And Rara particularly, like he likes her for a while for sure. He's but I think it's even more like I think he thinks it's romantic for a while, but I think it's even more than that. It's like her zest and enthusiasm for living infects him slowly it reminds him what it is like to feel and what it is like to interact positively with the world and what it feels like to look forward to tomorrow because of all the things and possibilities and just life itself that it can be good and I found kind of his journey it was so nice it's kind of like how I felt I think watching the show is that Rara really touches your heart and her the way that she lives is it sounds so cheesy to say but it was a little bit inspiring to me I really really liked it I thought it was really beautiful and I loved all the side characters I won't go into them all but it they all of them were really really good and I really liked them and then halfway through the drama there's even this like you know, at, um, at the start, he's sort of this bad guy who's after June, who's been hired by June's like evil mother to go and find out where he is. And, you know, he's he seems like such a gangster. And then the second half of the drama, he's like joined into the whole found va- um, family vibes. And he's so funny and so nice. And I just, yeah, it was like the first half was like a warm hug. Then there was, okay, so I'm going to talk about the big reveal, which um, if you've watched it, obviously, you know, I'm going to spoil it. So here we go. So obviously, Rara and June are falling in love. They're living together. They're spending, well, they're sort of living together, but they spend all this time together. Um, and it's really charming. I really liked their romance. There's this element to it. Like Rara is so straightforward. She says what's in her head. Like there is no filter with this girl. So every time June does something really nice for her, she's just like, she's over the moon. Like she's practically jumping up and down, like, and she's staring at him. She's like, how can you be so nice and so handsome? Like, I thought you were just incredibly handsome, but you're also this lovely human being. Like you're so great. And June is always like, he's so uncomfortable. He's so, he always goes a bit red and he gets real gruff, but he's just so weird. Like every time she says that he's handsome, his reaction is so funny. I really, really liked it. And then it kind of leads up to this point where (laughs) you realize, but Rara does not realize that June is in fact a high school boy. So uh, when he first, well, it's not his first meeting with Rara, but when he meets her on her wedding day, um, I can't even remember why, probably something to do with like the way that they're speaking to each other, maybe something like Banmal, I'm not really sure, but they end up exchanging their ages. So Rara's like, I'm 24, how old are you? And June is just like stares at her in shock and he's like, I'm 24 as well. <laughs> and at the time you're like, okay, cool. He's 24. Um, but now, you know, they've been together, they've been falling in love. And suddenly you realize that June is not 24. <laughs> He's a high school student. So in Korea, 
um, as opposed to my own country, if you're a high school student in my country, basically you're probably 17 <laughs> if you're in the last year of high school. Um, but in Korea, luckily, if you're in the last year of high school, you're probably 19. So it's not so bad. It's a five-year age gap. Um, and at first, like, I'm, I actually didn't mind the reveal, um, to be honest. I know there's probably some people that have a problem with it. Like, five years isn't a big age gap at all, but it kind of is over those ages when you're talking about a teenager and someone in their 20s. So I do totally get it if you had, like, a bleh reaction to it. Um, for me, it worked in the drama because I think not by the end, by any means, but at the start of the drama in those first 10 episodes, June comes across as a very mature guy. Like he's been through a lot. He suffered the death of his best friend. He feels responsible. He's, you know, he's working hard. He's making a living. He's very responsible for himself. He's looking after Rara, who is an absolute mess and cannot function without him. Like she wouldn't even know how to feed herself. She couldn't do anything. Um, so he really is very responsible and you do get the impression that he is an adult. So I didn't really mind this like sudden sort of shocking revelation that he's in fact not an adult, but a boy because he really comes across like as an equal to Rara. Like you feel like they're on the same level, potentially even he's on a slightly a lot more mature level than her. Like he's a lot more in tune with life and what's going on than she is. So it didn't really bother me. And I quite liked it because it was a surprise. I really didn't see it coming. And I love, I love a surprise in a drama. Um, you know, you watch so many dramas and I love the tropes, but you know, you get used to the tropes so you can understand what's coming. You can totally figure things out um, in terms of plot twists, which I have no problem with. Like I choose to watch these dramas because I love these tropes, but it was a, a really kind of fun thing to be so surprised, I think, by the reveal around June's age. So when it first happened, I really liked it. I really liked it the whole time that he's still an Unpo and he's kind of wrestling with telling Rara the truth, but really feeling like she's going to reject him. There's a bit of an uncoolness in that he just goes for it and like hits on her and kisses her before he tells her the truth. But at the same time, I can totally understand from a character point of view, like June thinks he's going to lose her if she finds out the truth. He thinks that she will never like date him. So you know, it's not essentially like particularly cool. He's definitely lying, but there is just something about it that it didn't really bother me. It didn't upset me. And I liked their relationship and I was on board for it. Um, and it also, that was a really fun part for me was it kind of like really made sense to me then why June was always so weird every time. Like she's like, oh, you're so handsome and stuff. And he's like, he really is in those particular moments only like a blushing little boy who hasn't really had that experience with a woman before um, of, you know, just knowing how to react or what to do. Um, and I really liked that. It was like the only sort of telltale sign of his youth, I suppose, um, up until you find out the truth. So I, I, just, I thought that was kind of a nice connect that I could be like, oh, yeah. So that's why he was like that. So that was kind of fun for me. The part where I felt like I liked it a lot less is when, um, you know, June's mom comes down to Unpo and kidnaps him and puts him in his house and is like, you're a teenage boy. You need to study. You have to go to university. Like you can't be off living in Unpo with a woman. You have to, you know, I don't know, do stuff and have a career and go to university or whatever. Because then it was like episodes and episodes and episodes of June. All he did every time we caught up with him, he's like literally sitting at his desk studying. And I'm like, 
this is so boring. <laughs> Why is he studying all the time? Like, I, it, it just wasn't very exciting to me, I think, as a, like, character arc. <laughs> you know, I like people to do stuff, but he, he was doing stuff, but it's very boring to watch someone study. So I feel like as a character, it really regressed him from being this mature man who could be a hero of a romance drama, regressed him into what he, you know, actually literally is, which was a young boy studying to finish school. And seeing that and seeing him have to do everything his mum tells him to and seeing, you know, his mum there that he has to ask permission of all the time really does hit home to you that he is very young and Rara is at a completely different stage of her life. You know, she she has no one to rely on. She has no parents. She's not getting mollycoddled. She has no one who tells her what she can and can't do. Like she is a grown up and she is looking after herself and she is making headway in her life and choosing who she wants to be and what she wants to do. And meanwhile, June is studying because his mum told him to. So like that was the point in the relationship where I was like, oh, I kind of do feel like their age gap is less good because they're just in different places in life. Like if it had been five years later and he was 20 and she was 25, I just would have been like, eh, wait, no, that's not right. That's only a year later. See, my maths isn't very good. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I feel like if he was out of school and they were just both in their 20s, I feel like they'd be close enough in what they were doing to probably make it work. But as it stood, I feel like, yeah, they were, it kind of just got bogged down with all that stuff, the drama. But I guess this is also the point where June's like, I got to break up with you for your own good for no reason, for some reason that that's going to make you better. I don't know. It was really stupid. So this is the point where the drama just completely ran out of story. And it was suddenly like, oh, we just got to break them up and then get them back together for no reason. And then break them up again for no reason, get them back together. And all the while, June's just studying in the city and Rara's just living her best life on her own or occasionally crying because June's, you know, being mean or pretending he's dating some other woman or pretending he's going overseas. And I hated all that stuff. Um, I like, it took me a while to kind of realize I suppose like and that's usually what happens to me if I'm watching a drama and I really 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 love it and I'm really connecting with it um and it starts going downhill it usually does take me like three or four episodes to really realize that I'm not connecting with it anymore or actually accept that things have kind of changed very sadly so it, it did take me a while to kind of realize oh this isn't as good as what I hoped it would be and then we come to the ending um which I'll talk about you know, in a bit. So yeah, that's a huge amount of setup for you. That's generally what the show was. Okay, here we go. The stuff that I loved about this show. What's it called? Dodo Soul Soul La La Soul. <laughs> All right. So the general feel of the show in the first half, loved it. Um, Rara's zest for life, her optimism, loved it. Um, Rara's mad clothes, like the stuff that she wore in the first half was gold. I enjoyed it so much. I particularly was obsessed with these mad, massive scrunchies that she would wear that were bigger than her entire face. They were awesome. They were really fucking cool. Um, I really loved all the piano playing in this drama. Um, I really loved the way the drama connected the music, I think, to emotion and to expressing emotion and to Rara herself and who she is and how she feels about life and the people around her. I I found that stuff to be really beautiful and I really, really enjoyed it a lot, actually. Um, another thing I loved was June's cranky, pretty face. 
what a cranky, pretty face that man has on him. It's great. I really enjoyed it. And I, I just really love the fact that when he smiles or makes any other expression other than his cranky, pretty face, he just looks like such a different person. It's really amazing. Anyway, um, Unpo, the setting of the drama, so this kind of port city of Unpo, it's really beautiful. I actually really, really love when dramas kind of film in these locations. I think all those seaside cities just look so gorgeous, those big industrial kind of, you know, shipping kind of ones. And they're always having scenes up on rooftops or hillsides. And you see these big, you know, cargo tanker ships like rolling through the bay in the background. It's really, really beautiful. I like it. Um, so like I said before, side characters in this are really good, just really lovely. Um, so the found family vibes and the teen couple, I really, really enjoyed them. Um, I, I feel like they get together in a way that is kind of, for me, it's just one of these big romantic gestures. So I'm kind of like, eh, but I do, I did love their relationship. Like the whole bickering friends to romance thing is a trope that I fucking adore. And I will just watch that trope over and over and over again. A million trillion times. Um, so yeah, I loved that. I loved their little side romance. Um, and as I said before, um, I've got on my list here that I liked the teen reveal up to a certain point. <laughs> so I also made a few little notes about things that I really liked um, about the drama as I watched it. So I wrote them down on my phone and I've got them here in front of me and they're pretty mad and we'll see if I can make sense of them as I read them out. I don't know if I can. So I really enjoyed, so there's a baddie in this drama, like which has no bearing on anything to do with the plot, but he's like this crazy dude who's like mad in love with Rara because he saw her once and she said sorry after she bumped into him or some shit. I can't even remember. So he's got like pictures of her plastered all over his weird, creepy house. Um, so he starts turning up to the hairdresser to get his hair done. And I just thought it was so funny. He keeps turning up and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this man's so handsome. He's so handsome. I'm like, this dude has a fucking mullet on his head. Like, I just don't understand. <laughs> Personally, it didn't work for me. And every time the characters were like, oh my gosh, he's so handsome. I was like, bleh. <laughs> but that's just personal. That's just me being judgmental like I always am. <laughs> uh, what else have I got here? Oh, I loved when Rara, I just loved the whole theme of Rara discovering herself. So there's this point in the drama where she says that she discovered a whole new her when she moved to Unpo. And she tells one of the other characters that she's realized that she is a resilient weed, not a hothouse flower. I thought that was such a beautiful line. I really, really liked it. And I just... I loved that idea, you know, it's not a bad thing to be a resilient weed. Like, that's fucking awesome. You don't need to be a hothouse, delicate, beautiful flower to just be, you know, admired and looked after. Like, she can take care of herself, which is what, you know, Rara proves by the end of the show. So I really, really loved that. Um, even though I am 100% aware that this next thing that I liked was completely filler like it didn't need to be in the drama at all but I really loved the romantic flashbacks of the old man meeting his wife so there's this old dude in the drama who's just one of the side characters who's great and I was long along with everyone else um and he he's lost his wife a year before so he's talking to Rara and also June about you know, his love story and how he and his wife got together. And so we as a viewer get treated to like this whole flashback to them meeting and hitting on each other and eventually getting together. But it's all, you know, set in the 50s or something in Korea. And the two main characters, like the old man and his wife, are played by, you know, June and Rara in the flashback. 
So basically we just get to see a whole second love story, but like historical fiction, which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> so set in the 50s, just this really quiet, sweet, romantic story and, you know, a couple of extra kiss scenes and stuff. And I was like, I know this is filler. I know it doesn't need to be here, but like, I'm on board for this. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, I loved the woman, I've forgotten her name, but the one who owns the the hairdressing salon, who becomes like a bit of a mother figure and friend to Rara. I just, I didn't think I was going to enjoy that whole storyline with all those like women in the hairdresser, but I loved them. But there's this one thing about this mum that just made me laugh so much. Like every time someone new kind of turns up, um, she pulls them into a hairdresser and then she makes the hair bigger by like five centimeters. And it's so funny. I enjoyed it so much. Just seeing all these characters turn up and suddenly their hair's like really, really big afterwards. It's like the only thing she ever does. It's so funny. Uh, what else? Oh, I've got a note that I really loved the music when the grandpa plays a recital, which is for his wife. And also when June and Rara first get together, they play a song together, which I just thought was so beautiful. There's, I just really loved kind of the way the drama uses music as a language to express emotion like love basically is what it is used for. It's really lovely and moving. I liked it a lot. Um, I mentioned at the start about the secretary, um, who's Rara's dad's secretary, who you really, really think has pulled one over Rara. And even all the characters are telling her that he's probably evil because they've watched a lot of dramas and they say it's always the secretary who's evil. And I loved the reveal where, you know, finally Rara goes to see him and you're so sure that she's going to end up really rich. And I love that she doesn't. I love that there's no money anymore. It really is up to her to look after herself, which she does really, really well. I thought that was really cool. But I love that she goes and you think the secretary is going to be really evil and it sure looks like he is, but then it turns out it's just a scene and a drama and he's an actor and he's just like the sweetest man in the whole, like it's so moving. It's like moments like that, that I was like, oh yeah, that's what this drama is to me. Just this cuteness, this moving loveliness. I really, really liked it. Um, what else have I got? Um, I really loved it when Rara's old piano teacher and mentor comes back and Rara usually plays this song for her piano teacher. And it's like up until that moment, her piano teacher just thinks it's the same old Rara, the same Rara that she's always been. But after she plays this piece of music for her, it's so emotional. It's just like all of everything that Rara has gone through and endured and all the loss that she's experienced is just poured into this music. And her teacher just goes up to her and hugs her and says, you know, I didn't know that you'd had such a hard time. And I just thought it was such a beautiful moment just again about that, the language of music and what you can express. Um, so that's it for me on my list of stuff I loved. And now I'll get on to the stuff that I did not love quite as much or at all. All right. So stuff that I did not love particularly. Um, I... I was really sad when all the episodes started that had so much filler in them. Um, I wish it could have just been shorter, I guess. I feel like that would have solved the problem of the last, like, at least six episodes. If the drama had just finished, then I think it would have been, like, just so heartwarming and charming. And, you know, the ending wouldn't have been so completely fucked. <laughs> I hate it so much. Um, so, also, there is this whole weird serial killer, line, like, kind of storyline throughout the drama. And I didn't really mind it at all. I was kind of like, cool, why not? Throw in a serial killer. Sure, Rara can get kidnapped. Whatever. I'm fine with it. But then it's like, he just... He just fucks off and then it's like it's over. He just gets arrested and it's all good and don't even worry about it. And I was like, 
this guy's been killing people. He was obsessed with her for like a year. Like I felt like there was no fallout to, you know, what was teased for a very long time as being like a big deal, like a big, scary deal. And then they're just like, ah, don't even worry about it. It's fine. He got arrested. He's in jail. It's fine. So, I mean, I didn't really care, but I was like, that's weird, <laughs> but whatever. All right, so this is the end. Uh, this is me talking about the end in my section. Stuff that I really, really, really fucking hated. I hated the ending. I hated it so much. It makes me laugh thinking about it. But, like, in truth, it totally... I mean, the show was already off the rails by that point. But I feel like the ending solidified it. For me, it ruins it. It totally does. Like, even if the ending had had a lot of filler and then, you know, it just been a romantic ending, you could have been like, oh, right, that's fine, whatever. But I feel like the ending is so awful and stupid and mean. And it also just negates, I think, June as a character. I think it ruins him, but it also doesn't even make sense anyway. Okay. So in the second last episode, June walks in on his folks who, you know, are really hard on him. They're like, all the time, they're like, don't move to Unpo. Don't work any job jobs go back to school don't grieve your best friend who's dead that's really traumatized you like just do what we say blah 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 so they're just you know they're really intense and strict but you know they're very very rich and he has you know all this stuff on his shoulders but suddenly he walks in on them and his folks are like oh shit he's got leukemia and you know he might slash probably will die and June's like oh my gosh this is really awful so by this point he's already pretended to Rara that he's like got a different girlfriend and that he's leaving town like he's already done all this stuff to try and like break them up they've already got back together and now he's like oh I better you know somehow break up with her again and he pretends he's going studying overseas and I just I fucking hate that whole storyline I hate it so much you know I've seen it so many times in dramas before um, and at this point, I wasn't that worried that he was actually going to die. I was just like, oh, it's just, you know, a last minute dumb twist they're throwing in the drama. I didn't really think anything of it other than it was annoying. Um, but I just, I hate that whole thing of breaking up with someone for their own good. Like, it is so, it's not love if you're making a decision for somebody else. And I feel like it's the, the most unromantic thing in the whole world, breaking up with someone to spare them pain, you know, like... Let Rara decide if she wants to be spared pain, because frankly, if you're in love with someone and they break up with you and leave you and you don't realize that they're going through a hard time, they're sick, they're experiencing these difficulties and then just say, you know, they randomly die afterwards, you know, she's not going to feel good because she got spared that pain of knowing you were sick. She's going to feel awful because she wasn't there to help at the end and love him at the end I just think it's the shittest thing I hate it so much it's just so dumb it's just like it's a drama trope that I really do detest because I feel like it's just so far removed from real life and I think I also just hate it because it's always played as a romantic thing and it's not romantic it's weird and controlling and Rara is a grown-up who can make her own decisions and even worse right then at the very end of the second like the very last episode June just fucking dies and June's mum turns up at Rara's house and is like oh June's dead sorry he wrote this letter for you here you go I'm really sorry he's dead and he said to leave this stuff for you you know, she's a little bit upset. She's just not quite as blasé as I'm making it sound. 
And so Rara, obviously, is completely fucking devastated. She's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know it was sick. Like, now I feel really guilty. And then little by little, we go around and see all of his friends, this little found family in Unpo, grieving. And every single fucking one of them is like, I feel so guilty because I didn't, you know, I wasn't nice or I didn't do this or I didn't say that. And I'm like, fucking June, like he didn't spare anyone any pain. All he did was cause them more pain. And then you've got bloody old grandpa who's very, you know, old and sick. And June fakes to him that he's, okay. All right. So then he's dead. He's just dead. And I was like, what the fuck? Is that really what this show is going to do at the very end? This beautiful romantic show that is lovely and positive and charming and was making me feel happy. Like, are they actually going to kill off the male lead at the end? And not even like, I don't, like, I'm not really into dramas where they kill off the main person at the end, but I do understand it. Like if the drama is about that, and I know that there are a lot of dramas like that, they wrestle with those themes for the whole drama. And then the character dies at the end, and that's what the drama is about. But this drama is not about June having leukemia. It's just like something to throw in at the end. It's just a little shit plot twist for the very last two episodes. Like it's stupid, is frankly. (laughs) But then even worse... He actually dies. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. That was where I was just watching with my mouth hanging open. I was like, really? Really? That's what you're going to do? And so then the drama goes five years later and everyone's getting on with their lives and living, you know, to the fullest and trying to live the best they can because they've lost, you know, they've lost people. And it's really sad. Grandpa's died by now. And I might point out that grandpa died believing that June was dead. I bet that wasn't very nice. Like I Oh my gosh, it's just the worst. And then Rara's like, oh yeah, you know, just living her life. And then at the very last moment, literally seven minutes of airtime left for this drama, um, June, all dressed up and handsome and healthy, just turns up at her house and he's like, well, he doesn't even say anything. He just stands there and stares at her. And Rara, understandably, is like, is he real? Is he a ghost? Am I going crazy? Um, And he just smiles and opens up his arms to hug her. And she runs into his arms and hugs him and smiles. And I'm like, that is not the reaction that I would have had at that point. I think I would have punched him in the face for lying to me for five years. Like this is the cruelest, most uncool thing I have ever seen in my life. And then with like (laughs) four minutes left of the drama, they go up to this spot where they always hung out, you know, overlooking Unpo at night. It's really beautiful. And she's crying. Like, she's really traumatized. Rara's crying and she's punching him in the arm and she's like, you know, I fucking thought you were dead. You're so mean. How could you do this to me? And June is just sitting there with a big grin on his face and he's like, ha ha ha, do I still have to wipe your tears for you? Ha ha. And I'm like, what the fuck, June? Like, what the fuck? This is not how you treat someone that you love. And then he's like, I'll show you. Then she's like, are you a ghost? Like, are you even real? And I'm like, yeah, that is what you'd be wondering. You'd be wondering if you were going insane. Like it has been five years. He's been dead for five years. Everyone around you knows he's dead. No one else has seen him. Only Rara has seen him. Of course, she's worried that she's going insane or he's a ghost or whatever. And he's like, I'll prove to you I'm not a ghost. And then he just like makes out with her. And then that's the end of the drama. And I was like, I feel like they needed to prove to me that he wasn't a ghost or a figment of Rara's imagination. I feel like the drama ended in this super dark way where suddenly they're like, and then Rara goes insane. (laughs) Oh, what the fuck? I just thought it was the stupidest ending ever. 
And then he doesn't even give an explanation for the way that he literally sent his mum to Rara's house to tell Rara that he was dead. To give her a death letter. Like, just what the fuck? So the drama ends in a way that I'm like, June is the biggest asshole in the whole world. He is not a mature young man. He is a horrible, horrible person and I hate him and I actually want to punch him in the throat. I don't think that they should be together. I think that she should have pushed him off the cliff and gone off and found someone much better to marry and be with for the rest of her life because he lied to her about the worst thing that you could lie to someone about for five years. <laughs> so that's the end of this very long waffly discussion on Dodo, Soul, Soul, La La, Soul. A drama that is, I think, like, is it worth your time? Yes, I still think it is. I think the first 10 episodes are worth your time. They're super nice and super charming and life-affirming and positive and lovely. The end is a fucking shit show, in my opinion. I really, really hated it. I hated it so much. Um, and it, it just, it feels like it just negates everything about the drama. It negates the romance. It gets rid of June as a cool, mature, good character that you're actually rooting for. It turns him into the biggest idiot in the whole world. And it also just ends so abruptly that you're like, isn't there something else? Like, I feel like the story doesn't even finish. So all in all, I, I really loved it for a while, I guess, which you can tell from how, you know, how many positive things I do have to say about this drama and particularly the start. But holy fuck, that ending, holy fuck, I hated it. So stupid. All right, I'm going to stop because otherwise I'm just going to keep saying the same stuff over and over because... I just still feel so confused by it. But yeah, that's it from me on Dodo Soul Soul, La La Soul, the 2020 <laughs> rom-com, apparently. Gosh, that's 16 episodes and stars Goara and Itewok. So now it is time for my random thing of the week. And I've got just some really, really short, two very short little poems that I wanted to read out to you guys because I thought they were very, very beautiful and interesting. So I've been doing a lot of research into the Joseon dynasty lately, and I have uh, just a new book that I bought. I haven't actually started reading this one yet, but I was just flicking through it. Um, and it is about creative Korean women, um, I think, mainly during the Joseon dynasty, but a little bit afterwards as well. Um, but one of the chapters is on a Giseng, a very, very famous Giseng called Huang Jinni. Um, so I've heard of Huang Jinni before, but I really don't know much about her. And as I said, I haven't actually read this book yet, so I'll tell you guys how it is later when I've actually read it. Um, but Huang Jinni, I know, has a couple of dramas and I think movies made about her, um, at least one Korean drama that I can think of, but actually I think quite a few more than that. She's a very, very famous Gisang from the Joseon dynasty. Um, and it says here that she lived in the 16th century. Um, so she was a singer poet. So it's got a lot of her poetry in this book and I haven't read the chapter properly, but I was just flicking through and I came across two poems that I just thought I was just kind of amazed by how vivid and beautiful they sound. Um, the book itself is going to go through some of her poetry and kind of break them down and explain what they mean or why she wrote them and information like that. But um, what I'm going to do right now is none of those things. <laughs> I'm just going to read them because I think that they're really lovely. So the first one is called Long Winter Night. I'll cut a piece from the side of this interminable winter night 
and wind it in coils beneath these bed covers, warm and fragrant as the spring breeze, coil by coil, to unwind it the night my lover returns. So it's just very short, but just so vivid. I don't know, I thought it was lovely. Um, the second one I've got is translated to be called Spring Pervades the Pavilion. So both of these poems were written during the 1500s. Um, it just still amazes me every time that I can read something written so long ago and it's still so beautiful now or still so accessible now. Um, so here is Spring Pervades the Pavilion. The bed I make is bamboo leaves. I spread them on the ice. Though my love and I should freeze unto death, slowly, slowly pass this night in love's enduring gentleness. So that's it. There you go. Huang Jinni. That's my first time ever reading her poetry, even though she's crazy famous. So hopefully I'll have more to tell you guys about her if I end up, you know, actually reading the chapter properly, which I will. now it is time for my something I'm loving section for this week and it is a book. So I've had such a weird thing recently with reading fiction. Um, I think it's because I've been delving so much into all the historical research and the non-fiction that I just kind of lost my kind of fiction groove. I don't know, I've been finding it really difficult to connect really well with a story, which is so strange for me because like that's what I live and breathe. It's really odd. Um, but I, I think at the moment I'm reading a book that is, I'm only 100 pages in, but I thought I'd mention it on the podcast anyway because I'm enjoying it so much. So I've mentioned on the podcast in the past about a television show that is German language called Babylon Berlin. And I think this is one of the most amazing things about the internet and the kind of way that we consume media these days in the modern world is that no matter what country you're in, you do get exposed to things from different cultures and different countries so much more. Like it's so much more accessible than it used to be in the past. Um, and you, know, I, I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, um, you know, are not Korean and yet are really, really loving Korean dramas. And I'm the same. And I think it's so cool that I also get to experience, you know, different television and dramas from Europe and like all different countries around the world and movies. Um, one of my favorite shows of all time is called Babylon Berlin. I fucking love it. It's so good. Um, it is set in or starts in like 1929, but basically set around the 30s in Berlin. Um, kind of this political crazy time in the lead up to the Second World War. But it's it's um, basically a hard boiled noir detective series. And the television show is bonkers good. Like I, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. I love it so much. So I am so obsessed with the television show Babylon Berlin that I went and bought the first book in the series because it is, you know, it's, it's all based on a book series. So I've got this book called Babylon Berlin by, <laughs> so I don't speak German, so I'm going to butcher this man's name. This is the author, Volker Kutscher. Kutscher, so K-U-T-S-C-H-E-R, 
Volker Kutzjo. Um, so Babylon Berlin, and it's, I'm only 100 pages in and it's definitely like hard-boiled noir detective fiction and it's this detective kind of come in from the provinces and he ends up in Berlin in like I think it's 1929 and he's on the police force, he's a detective in Vice and he's sort of just getting involved in all these different kind of interconnecting crimes that kind of pull into this like kind of political wide picture of Berlin at the time and I'm really really enjoying it so um, I'm very excited about it at the moment and I just it kind of just reading it makes me think about the show I suppose so I've been like looking up pictures from the show and just been like slightly madly obsessing about it I suppose because it's so good oh my gosh I like it so much so anyway um, that's all I'll say but I, I am really enjoying it it's a really I don't know it's a really good book so far um that's Babylon Berlin by <laughs> Volker Kutzer, I suppose. <laughs> Sorry, my pronunciation. Gosh, I should have looked it up, but I didn't because I'm lazy like that. There we go.